Hello, and welcome to the Green Team of the Legendarium, the weird little spinoff podcast where the patrons get together to discuss the books and topics the main crew haven't gone around to yet. I'm Little Red Book, and tonight I have with me the romance lover from the Landem and her Miralee. Hi. <laughs> and the mysterious lady who housed my babies, Befuddled Panda. <laughs> Hello. And the man who graduated from the Matrix to marriage, Mr. Anderson. Hi. We are going to be discussing The Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. Was that correct? Yes. Mass. 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 <laughs> Close enough. And I am co-opting this for my third installment of Red Reads Romance with Green Team members and their partners. So there you go. <laughs> we will be talking about general impressions with ample full warning before we get into spoilers but this is a fairy tale retelling so just generally overall if you've ever read one uh you kind of know how this is gonna work out (laughs) um panda you prepared a little thing about the author yeah i figured we would just give a little overview about the author since she's kind of uh important (laughs) in some of the things we'll be talking about i think um so sarah j mass is the author of several fantasy series uh, there's Throne of Glass, there's A Court of Thrones and Roses, which is the first book that we'll be discussing today, and Crescent City. Her books have sold over 12 million copies and are highly popular with the YA fantasy and romance readers. Early in her writing career, which I did not know this, um, she faced many criticisms because she wrote fantasy and was told by her creative writing workshop teacher that fantasy wasn't real storytelling. But haha, she has proved those <laughs> critics wrong as she consistently tops best-selling lists week after week. She has a fierce following of fans, which, if any of you are listening, don't come after us, please. And signed a f- new four-book deal with Bloomsbury earlier this year. Mass has become oh, a household name. Uh, among fantasy romance readers, and this is my first time reading her, so we'll we'll see how it goes. She she's more than a household name among fantasy romance readers. She's a household name amongst romance readers as well. Oh, That's really? true. Yes, good for her. So, quick question, Mr. Anderson: How much romance do you read? Not much. Um. So how I got here was I heard good things about Mass. I heard good things about this book. I knew nothing about them. And when I told Panda, oh, I think I'm going to read this Court of Thorn and Roses, she started giggling. Um, <laughs> and so she said, well, let's wait and read it together. And then it became this episode. Um, so that's kind of how I came into this story, if you will. But no, I do not read much romance. I was so surprised because I was asking, oh, like, what are you going to read next? He was like, well, the next thing on my list is the Court of Thorns and Roses. I was like, why? How did you find out about this book? And he was like, yeah, people, I just know that people say it's really good. And I was like, what kind of people? Like, where did you hear this? Because this is not something that I thought you would pick up on your own. And here we are. Here we are. And again, it's not, I don't even know where I heard it. It just kind of, I don't know, hearing around people all talk about her because she is such a household name and a series. This is also my first time reading her, so I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I'm going to say mean things later. (laughs) I am a Sarah J Maas fan, so I read this when it came out. 
Oh. Nice. She's okay. an OG. You're you're the only one here who really has any credibility <laughs> amongst <laughs> the listeners who I, are her fans. Uh, all I have to say is that you have to start somewhere, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. So what are your general thoughts on the story? Oh, do you want to give a quick premise? Oh, yes. Um, a quick premise of this book that we're discussing in this episode, um, A Court of Thorns and Roses. So in a world where Faye and humans coexist, there's animosity and tension between the two. Fair finds herself imprisoned uh, in the Fey realm after killing a wolf in the woods. She soon discovers there's a growing blight in the Fey realm and her captor has a key role to play in stopping its spread. And as you mentioned, Red, this is a retelling um, of the Ballad of Tamlin, which is also inspired by, well, this story is also inspired by Beauty and the Beast. It's also inspired by East of the Sun, West of the Moon. That makes a lot of sense. I know I read that at some point, but I'm trying to remember. I got some Snow Queen vibes from it. Yeah. I was watching a video where Sarah J. Maas went through her inspirations for this book. And there were actually a few. So there was the retellings, as well as uh, apparently the initial premise came to her when she was listening to some music for the soundtrack for Princess Mononoke. Oh. And she just started forming this uh, story in her head. Uh, nice. But she also tries to capture a lot of fairy mythology and mythology from around the world. That was the thing I enjoyed second most about this story. Is I the, really like the- that. Yeah, the yeah, world interweaving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are what are your general thoughts about this story? And did you what did you expect going into this book, Mr. Anderson? Overall, I liked a lot of it. Um, some things um, less so. Overall, I did enjoy it. Um, particularly the beginning and the end um, had me very hooked in what was going on. Um, the overall plot. Uh, again, it was kind of this middle part I didn't like where they kind of forgot the plot and some of the characters <laughs> kind of changed. The overall plot I thought was kind of interesting. Again, kind of a retelling of stories we know. Um, the world building, I would have liked a lot more of that. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, then the romance stuff I thought was fine. Um, it's not... By the way, Panda reacted when I mentioned it. I was expecting a very explicit book. And it's not <laughs> quite just, that explicit. No. And so overall, it seemed like that seemed fine to me. It didn't seem like I I think I only laughed at one part during some of that, but most of it seemed fine. Um, So, yeah, overall, I kind of enjoyed it. Well, uh, Panda, what did you think? So I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, I mean, like, again, I've never read Sarah J. Mass. I've only like heard other people's take on her. Um, I I knew that her books were a bit more or more romance heavy, but for this this one, like uh, there there is romance and it is a pretty critical part of the plot. But there was so much more going on, especially getting introduced to the world um, and the history of the Fae, um, like I guess species. I don't know what you would call them, the Fae Fae people um, and the humans and overall like i did enjoy the majority of it and then there were parts that were just like okay this is pretty dumb and it was it was a disappointment and we'll we'll get into that in the spoilers part but overall it was it was fun 
Like it was a nice quick read. That was pretty much my reaction as well. It, I was expecting a lot more schlock. Yeah. It actually has some depth to it. Yeah. That surprised me and pleasantly so. But I'm kind of with you. There are some parts that are just kind of dumb or not boring exactly. But like, why are we spending so much time on this? <laughs> and her prose gets a little purpley. Uh-huh. But what I really appreciated it about this story is about is how the relationships evolve throughout the mm. book. So we can't talk about it without spoilers. So I'm just going to say that. Okay, Marilyn, tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's entitled to their own opinions of the books. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I, when I read it back in 2015 when it was published, I had already read three of three or four of her books already. Um, so I. I'm going to struggle a little bit to articulate exactly what I like about the series because what I like about the series actually happens in later books. Mm. Um, so there are there is a lot in this book that sets up for the later series. And when I originally read this, thinking that it was a Beauty and the Beast retelling, I could see the Beauty and the Beast retelling part of the story, but I didn't realise how well it actually sets up the trilogy for the rest of what comes. Because there's little things that she's added into the book that are important later on okay. that you don't realize are important. Yeah, I mean, I that's see, fair. I can see that there's definitely definitely some um, breadcrumb laying going on in the story. Like, I don't know what exactly is, is going to pan out or not, but I can feel it. I mean, the plot-wise, I think, for the most part, it's very well laid out and thoughtful. Um, so on a scale of one to ten star or one to five stars, how would you rate this? Three and a half. I think I think for me it's a three and a half. It's like it's not bad, um, like overall, and it was entertaining, and I see like potential and promise, um, and I did enjoy the m most part. I I did have some trouble with like the pacing of it, um, for the first like good chunk of the book, um, and then once it got exciting, I was like, okay, this is cool, and then there was like this twist, and I was like, okay, da 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 da, -da. um. But I, I think her strongest part was just the creativity and creating the world, the creatures, um, and then everything else was like, okay. I'm going to go with a three um, because of what I said about her prose. Like if I had to hear about bones barking and teeth singing and just she has these weird quirks <laughs> in her writing that I laughed at things I was not supposed to be laughing at. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not saying she's a bad writer. She's she's not. And I think the plot is really cohesive. There's some pace, pacing issues, but it's there's some things about her writing that... Oh, anyway. <laughs> I think I gotta give it a three as well. There's things I really liked and then things I really didn't like. And I think that kind of averages out to a three. Mm. Um, yeah. Is this a five-star book for you, Marilia? <laughs> it was when I first read it. On a reread of it, and having read the rest of the series, it's one of the weaker books of the series. So, quick question: How do you? How did you relate to the idea of reading it for the fact that we're going to be talking about it here in a podcast, as, versus you're just going to read a book? Did that affect it? You think your rating? I don't think so. Okay, I was just curious because it does affect me when I'm reading a book. I think because I'm for, reading this really. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. For me, because like you know, I was I was thinking of okay, what are the things I could say about this book? But 
really what I wanted to do is I just want to read it for enjoyment because this is definitely something that like, you know, if you're kind of in a reading slump or you just want something that is like quicker to read, very entertaining, um, like mm -hmm. this for me, it hit the spot once like I got through a part of the beginning and then, you know, the pace just picked up and like I devoured the rest of the book. Um, mostly because I just, I wanted to know how was this story going to end. Right. And that's why I always read books twice when I'm going to review them. Because the first time I read the book, I just want to enjoy the book. Enjoy it. Yeah. And not think about things. I mean, I will think about things a little bit, but I try and put that on hold. So yeah. Just curious. Um, how would you rate this against other Sarah Mass books? And only one I of can't. us can answer this question. <laughs> Merlia. Well, she did say this was like the weaker book of yeah, the series. Yeah. So we kind of already answered that one. Sorry. So this book was written originally in 2009, apparently. Oh. Um, and it was, like I said, the pub. it was published. It was her fifth published book. And she has written a significant number more books since then. Um, and her books keep getting longer and longer and longer. And that notice that we saw the box set of this series today, and I just see these books keep expanding. <laughs> Isn't that like a rule in fantasy novels, though? <laughs> Seems to be. to be. If you don't third. double the page count, why are you even writing a sequel? <laughs> <laughs> but how, how much How much has her writing changed, do you think? Oh, sections of her writing that I think have stayed the same. And I think that I don't. I don't know whether or not it's because she has become such a popular author. But I almost feel like her editors just kind of go, oh yeah, that's fine, and just let it go. And so there's a couple of sections in some of her newer books that are, you know, massive. That it's just sort of filler sections that I probably could have been edited out. But everyone loves her stories, so she just they just keep them in. I can think of two other authors that I would fit into that category. Mm. Just off the top of my head, Stephen King and Brandon Sanderson. Robert Jordan probably fits in there too, where like he just needs somebody to say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, victim of your own success. Okay. Moving into spoilers. Panda, I believe you have a recap for us. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Bear with me here to jog our memory. So we meet Fair. Is it Farah or something? Farah. 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 Yeah, I was saying it as Farah. Farah. Okay. She's actually got a, there's a pronunciation thing right at the very start. Okay. It's one of the one of the times when you walk into a fantasy book and they actually have someone pronounce the name for you in uh -huh. the dialogue. It's always nice. Resand. I always want to say Rysand though. I it's hear Resand. Well, I listen to that. Resand. Okay. We meet Farah, the main character, hunting in the woods. Winter is harsh and food is scarce, especially for the poor and broke families such as hers. She finds herself in luck and kills a deer as well as a monstrous wolf. Farah drags her bounty home to feed her starving sisters and father. Unbeknownst to her, the wolf is not just any wolf, but a fae, and the ruler of the spring court, Tamlin, comes calling for retribution. To save her family, Farah agrees to be exiled in the fairy realm and live with her fae captor, where she meets more fae like Lucian and Elise. I think that's how I say it. Ever the fighter, Farah is constantly trying to escape and reunite with her family, despite her captor's reassurance that her family is taken care of. 
Little by little, Farah learns more about the Fey realm and the history between Fey and humans. She also learns of a blight spreading across the realm, thinning the boundaries between the Fey courts, allowing dangerous demons to enter the Spring Court. During the Great Rite of the Kalanmai, aka Fire, Fire Knight, Farah runs into Resand from the Night Court, who later turns out to be more helpful than evil. She also has a heated encounter with Tamlin that ignites her burn for him. We'll talk about that later. Eventually, Farah learns about um, Amarantha, the queen of the Night Court, who had been wooing Tamlin with poor results. So Amarantha cursed Tamlin and turned his heart into stone. She gave him 49 years to find a human who hated the Fae but would be willing to marry him. If he does not complete this in time, she would enslave his entire court. With the 49 years coming to an end, Tamlin sends Farah back to her family in the human world because he didn't think she would want to marry him in time. But Farah finds her way back to the Supreme Court and learns almost everything she needs to know from Elise. So she journeys to the Night Court to save Tamlin. Upon arriving at the Night Court, Amarantha makes a bet with Farah to either solve her riddle or survive three challenges in order to save Tamlin. Long story short, Farah completes the three challenges with help from Lucian and Resand and solves the riddle to break Amarantha's hold on Tamlin. Tamlin exacts his revenge, and everyone imprisoned in the Night Court was saved. Farah and Tamlin become official and enjoy some sexy times. I mean, they enjoyed some sexy times before they were official. That's too. true, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can only put so much in this summary. <laughs> yeah. So, how does this Beauty and the Beast retelling stack up for you guys? So, I'm going to tell you my initial thoughts. It was interesting to me that it took what went on in the Disney movie. And kind of turned it on its head. So like she's illiterate. Yeah. And she's lost her education because of her family's loss of fortune. And I found that really interesting. Also, um, the Disney story leaves out the sisters. And this one does have the sisters in, which is in the original fairy tale. And overall, I think it does a pretty good job of being a Beauty and the Beast retelling with a whole lot of Tamlin thrown in. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tamlin. I was not like i did not know at all about tamlin tamlin is a irish fairy tale where a fairy queen kidnaps a man and the only way the woman can get her man back from the fairy queen is when their procession rides by she has to hold on to him no matter what and like physically hold on to him and the fairy queen turns him into all these terrible, horrible things that are hurting her. Mm. And then eventually that's how the curse is broken. So, so I thought it was a really good melding of those two stories. Anyway, other thoughts? I thought, yeah, like to me, the beauty and the beast stuff really stood out because that's the one that I know the most, like I'm the most familiar with. And I did really enjoy the the scene where, you know, he shows her the library. Like, that part was really vivid, and I could, like, imagine it. I was like, okay, th- this is, I mean, this is my fantasy. <laughs> I think that's the thing. is like, this whole story is, like, it's it's kind of fan fiction-y. Um, and it's, but it's, like, polished enough where it's, like, okay, I can read this as a professionally written book, but there are just elements of it. I'm just like, okay, this is getting quite, you know, quite like fan fiction. Um, and that that moment is one of them. 
I think the beast part, like, he... So they all have these, like, masks that are stuck on their faces because of this curse, right? And I thought that was, like, okay. It was not, like, really that interesting to me. And it was just like, oh, sure, you can't see his face. All you can see is, like, his eyes. And, you know, the beast is supposed to be, like, really scary. But I guess because he's, like, so big and powerful and that's, like, the beast part. Plus that he's Mm. fey. Um, And he can turn into a beast, like a literal. That's true. Yeah, he has his shape-shifting abilities. So, yeah, I thought there were some elements that were really well done. And then the rest is, like, you know, kind of same old, same old. It felt a little more, I guess, authentic, at least a relationship, than like that 90s Disney magic thing, <laughs> where over the course of one catchy song, the characters fall in love. But, um... <laughs> but, the, but in fairness, that song was over a space of time. Right. It was like a montage. Yeah, yeah I, like a I few days. Say, I, I love these Disney movies, but that is kind of how it happens in there, and this was, you know, this is a little more organic. You get a deeper look into their building the relationship. This is where you need to watch, um, like, Belle's Enchanted Christmas, you know, to yeah. get, like, the more in-depth story of... I don't have of... to watch more movies to understand a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how movies work. Um, I saw a lot of complaints, and we touched on this before, but that um, Tamlin wasn't ugly enough to be the Beast. Like, he wasn't actually a Beast. I don't know that that really matters for the purpose of the story. I think there were other elements um, that make him yeah. the beast, which, like I men- mentioned, well, and it's like, I mean, he's Faye. That's pretty much is. the main thing. He's yeah. also definitely that, like, kind of, at least in this book, um, definitely kind of like that generically perfect person. Like, everything he does is right no matter what. Yeah. Um, but also grumpy. He is a bit grumpy. He's pretty grumpy. <laughs> Especially in the beginning. Again, that's what, you know, when they first get to the court and he's, like, you know, doing those awkward beast things like they also had in the movie. I thought that was just funny. I'm trying to, like, ask her to, I forget what it was, to, like, eat with them or go for a yeah. walk or whatever. He's also, like, Wolverine. You know, yeah. his claws will, <laughs> totally. like, come out. Yeah. Marilia, what do you think? Hey, I thought that it was quite a good retelling. Um, I The thing that I like about the Beauty and the Beast story is the whole concept that the person of the female who gets taken captive for want of a better word falls in love with the beast not because of what they look like but because of what they do together and I think that this captured that quite well um being in Feyre's head makes it you can kind of see the parts where she's like oh okay he's not as bad as I thought he was originally Mm-hmm. And starts to piece together a few things. So it's it doesn't it doesn't quite have the whole Stockholm syndrome that some other Beauty and the Beast retailings have because I mean she brings it up at one point. He never actually treated her like a captive, other yeah. than the fact that now she can't go home. Right. And he get, he gives her uh, a lot of freedom. He gives her a horse, and she can just go riding if she wants to. And she you know so there's that. So my thought on why this story exists, like not just Beauty and the Beast, is you think about if you live in a culture where there are arranged marriages and you're sent off to marry this man who you probably have never met before. And it's really scary. That would be a scary thing. And then getting to know that person 
and finding love. That's kind of what I think this story is addressing. Also, the fact that men are scary in general. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean like just like being a, a woman alone with a man can be a scary thing. That is true. Yes. And um, and the, also the idea of women taming men <laughs> and civilizing yeah. men is all kind of wrapped up in this story. So anyway, those are my thoughts. What do you think of the curse? Eh. I was a little confused, but it seemed to have a lot of parts to it. Like a lot yeah. of sub-clauses to this for curse. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I think one of my main criticisms of this book is that it did feel to me that the author had like specific things, specific scenes that she wanted to write. She wanted this character to do XYZ and this is something that she wanted to portray. And then she kind of filled in the rest to make it so that those scenes would happen. And to me, like the curse, I mean, I don't know if she came up with the curse first or she was like, you know what, this is what, these are specific scenes I want to write. How how do I make this curse so that, you know, I can write these scenes? So to me, the curse was like, eh, kind of cheesy. So one of the things that I struggled with is traditionally fairies, when they make a bargain, they have to keep them, mm-hmm. which she addresses. But technically, the curse is broken when she sh- when um, Barrow shows up at the queen's house. The curse is already broken, <laughs> and she just cheats. And I realize that's part of also fake culture. It just felt like it felt like a lot she of just plot wanted manipulation. To have those trials. She wanted to have those yeah. Trials. That's what I'm that saying. Was- <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, I'm. I guess I I'm with you, Panda, on that. So- Although I like the trials; they were fun. <laughs> yeah. The, the curse. The reason the curse wasn't broken when she shows up is because the time that was allotted had already passed. The forty-nine years. Yeah. Had I? Uh, I felt like that was kind of okay. I'll give that to you. It's still dumb because <laughs> she already loved him before the forty-nine years. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, Farah like almost said it right. She had almost like broken the curse, but Tamlin was the one who was like. We don't have time for this. Like, she's not going to do this. I only have three days left. I need to get her as far away from here because Amarantha, if she finds out, like, she's going to kill Farrah and then, you know, he'll be heartbroken. Um, And, I mean... He ruins it. Right. And, like, you know, Lucian, Mass, like, you know, brings this up. But with, like, Lucian being like, oh, because they can't tell, they can't tell her the details of the curse at the time, right? But there's like little hints and stuff, and Lucian's just like you couldn't you couldn't give a few more days like, you know what's what's the harm in that? So you know there were specific things where she was just like, all right, let me just make it, let me raise the stakes here, but it didn't feel as realistic, like believable. It's mm-hmm. one of those kind of like miscommunication kind of tropes. I think that that is actually a semi-important characterization of Tamlin that is important for. What for future because he's very protective and over overly protective yes yeah that's fair still makes it a little frustrating for the reader so um i want to talk a little bit about how relationships involve uh, evolve throughout the book and this is the thing that i found the best feature of the book and it has nothing to actually nothing to do with tamlin and vera but how she, her relationships evolve with her family with lucian and with other characters one of the things I really appreciate appreciated about it is Nesta, I believe, 
is the older sis the oldest sister's name. She's you're, you you kind of hate her at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And then you realize that Nesta is the only person who was one able to resist the glamour and two actually came looking for Vera. Mm-hmm. And and how they interact and how like they're never going to be besties, right? But they evolve a respect for each other. And I just really appreciated that part, probably because I had a difficult relationship with my sister. And the same with her and Lucian. Like, Lucian resents her at the beginning. And then slowly they develop a, a close friendship. And I really enjoyed that part of the book. Thoughts? Or am I, I just... really thought that there was going to be a bigger love triangle. I'm glad there wasn't, honestly. That was my expectation. I mean, like, that's not to say, you know, in the sequels there wouldn't be, but because I think there are going to be. But, um, yeah, it wasn't as prominent in this book. I agree with um, the Lucian stuff. I thought that was just a really interesting dynamic between two of them. Um, just from how it started to how it went throughout the book and everything. Um, and I'm also glad that that didn't turn, at least in this book, romantic in any way. Um, Aira seemed to have uh, enough going on in that part of her life without adding more to it right now. I didn't really care for her family all that much. I like that we got some like closure with her sister and things at that one part but overall they just kind of felt like i don't know they just felt like they were there Boring. yeah definitely definitely her father and her middle the middle sister were um there they were mm-hmm. there especially her dad her it was like yeah like, <laughs> like could you actually have a dad who's like i don't know trying to be a dad as opposed to like but i think I that know. was the point i right? know it was but it just irrit- like even when things turned around in his life he didn't yeah. ever get better part of what was like a bit boring for me towards the beginning of the book was just like how much like the author was trying to portray Farah as this like really lonely you know character who just has like this whole burden on her shoulders she has this vow with to her mother to like keep her family safe and protect them it was like i get it okay like (laughs) can we move on to the good stuff (laughs) like there was just a lot of time spent on like really hammering that in and that was boring but there is one part that I highlighted in the book that I did appreciate. Um, and I'll, I'll read a, a bit of it. So it says, and this is like beginning, towards the beginning. So I truly was to live there forever. So this is after she's um, been taken to the Fey Realm. As much as I longed to ensure that Tamlin's word about caring for my family was true, as much as his claim that I was taking better care of my family by staying away, even if I was truly fulfilling that vow to my mother by staying in Prithian, without the weight of that promise, I was left hollow and empty. And I thought that that was so much better of a way to portray like this character of Farah than like all these other words that she used before this, because basically what she's saying is that her whole identity for so many years was i am the protector of this family and now that that burden is lifted from her right like all she has to do is stay away from her family like she doesn't need to physically be there to protect them she's like i don't know what my purpose is anymore like i don't know how to function because every minute of her waking 
you know, every waking moment she was thinking of like, okay, where am I going to find food? Right. How am I going to clothe us? How am I going to, um, you know, keep us safe and warm um, and everything. And now like she actually gets to just focus on herself and she's like, I don't know what to do with that. And to me, I relate to that a bit because I'm definitely more of a person who's like, I'm, I don't like to be the center of attention um, in the way where it's like, oh, everybody is just like admiring you or whatever. Like, I'm more of a behind the scenes kind of person. I'm like making things happen, helping other people be center of attention. And so, you know, when it's like my turn to be in the spotlight, I'm just like, I don't, I feel weird. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to smile or like, you know, talk I've anymore. I've seen you smile. You know how to smile. <laughs> but not like when, you know, people are just like looking at you like expectantly. So I, I get it. And it's like for me, if, you know, I don't have a job, if I was just like stay at home kind of person, I, I'm just like, I need a purpose, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm kind of. I can kind of relate to that too, because now that my kids are both over 18, like this huge chunk of my life, this huge focus of my life is much different. Right. It's right. It's not that I obviously, you know, my kids are still really important to me. It's just a different thing. And it's weird. It's a weird thing. (laughs) Yeah. Like they can take care of themselves now. They can do their own grocery shopping. They can drive themselves. Right. And it's, but you know, they're like becoming more autonomous and you're just like, okay, how do I fit in now? Right? Yeah. Like the discussion of who is going to actually be home at dinner time is a thing in our house. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. I also do like that Nesta is a protector too, because she protects the middle sister from the world around her. And also I like that the middle sister sees Farah's love of beauty because she shares it, although she's a gardener. And she, when she has the chance, she buys... Farah paint paints mm-hmm. so that she can decorate the house and things like that. Anyway, you're being very quiet over there, Marley. I can't say your name, so just forget about it. <laughs> yes, yes. You don't have anything to add. <laughs> I never, I never liked Farah's family. Hmm. Um, they are important, but I never liked them. Oh, it's wild that I had such a different reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was about their characterization. And I think it was, I think part of it is because you're given such a negative view of Nesta to begin with. And Elaine is just so airheaded that I don't yeah. think she's not the sort of character that I like reading about. And her father's just a father. And I feel like her father's just in there for the beauty and the beast retelling <laughs> of the story. And he's not yeah. even the, uh, he's not even what causes Farrah to leave. Because in the original story, he's the reason why she has to leave. So all right. she asked for was a rose. Right. Seals the rose, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I didn't think yeah. it was interesting that he was the one who told her, basically, you go and don't come back. Like, what sort of father says that? Well, no, but he says it because he's like, there's nothing for you here. That's why you yeah. should go. Because he's like, go be free. <laughs> free from all these burdens <laughs> that you've had. Okay. Uh, What do you think of the riddle? Oh, my God. Second dumbest riddle I've ever read in a book. <laughs> What was the first? What's in my pocket? In Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, there's a phonetic riddle. And that's the dumbest I've ever read. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, 
she was trying to be too clever. Like the the author was trying to be too clever, and it was just it just didn't land. That's it. When I first yeah. read it, I guess is this love? This can't be love. That's too dumb. Like we can't go all this way for that to be love, and then and then there we were at the end of the book. I uh, I was just like I didn't even bother to figure it out because it was so nonsensical. But when I got to the end, I'm like, whatever. When I first read it, I was, I was again the same. It was, it was like, it's instant. Like, it's obviously love. But I wonder whether or not that's one of those. I almost took it as she almost made it intentionally obvious to the reader. But because Feyre is illiterate, she doesn't think that way. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I bet. I feel like she spent a lot of time, Feyre spent a lot of time saying she was thinking about the riddle when she wasn't off dancing with Ryzand. There was a lot that, of things. You know? <laughs> I oh, guess man. maybe part of it is that Farrah didn't know what love was really like. So, okay, if, I, if I'm trying really hard to put myself in Farrah's shoes and, like, why did I not figure this out sooner? Like, does she love her family? You know? Like, she, she has, I think the only real love she probably experienced was maybe from her mom. Um, she did though. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, she thinks fondly of her mother, right? Um, so maybe it's that she didn't really experience love, and so it was more of a foreign concept to her. I mean, yeah, because basically, well, no, I don't think she really. She had some fond memories of her mother, but what kind of mother tells the youngest child? Wasn't she like twelve? You're in charge of the family now. Well, because I mean, everybody else was useless. <laughs> that's still super messed up. <laughs> I thought there was a passage where she says something about her mother not being great either. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I'm pretty it, sure but... there is that there's yeah. like. She was okay, fine. well then there you go. She never really experienced love, and so she was not familiar with the concept, and it took a lot of pain and challenge and like near-death experiences for her to realize oh this is what i'm feeling for tamlin it's love oh my goodness it's the answer to the riddle as she's being beaten to death yeah near-death experiences actual death experiences (laughs) well there you go too yes there's that um i'm gonna go with that (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and back in her home village she has this guy that they just grew around together but they're not it's yeah there's, there's, it's not like in love <laughs> yeah and i guess you know she is fairly young she was like what 17 something like that yeah so you know so i'll give her, i'll give her that i don't know why i'm defending this but there you go <laughs> There's your defense. Now her fans aren't going to come after you. <laughs> um, who is your favorite character? Hmm. Although, actually, no, I can't answer this question. For this book, Lucian. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's my favorite character. Are we unanimous? No, Panda's got to be contrarian. I can tell. No, she has that I, look I, on her face. I like Elise. You know, the, the maid lady. Oh, yeah, she's nice. Her yeah. handmaiden girl, woman. I like okay. when the when Tamlin takes the the glamour off uh, Farah. She sees she's like some kind of tree spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, who are you? Yeah, uh, I fun. I like her. I mean, we don't get to meet that many. We we just like get mentions. Um, 
of these other fae characters. So, of the ones that we really meet, like Lucian and her, are they they stand out. What does it say about the story that none of us picked either main character? Um, <laughs> um I did not particularly like Tamlin. Um, yeah, he didn't like he didn't you know ignite a passion in you. No, there was no passion there between us. <laughs> when you read his name, you didn't have fire. No, there was no fire. There him. was no. There, I didn't draw hearts around his name or anything. It was. <laughs> you were like Mr. Anderson Tamlin. <laughs> <laughs> no, not this what time. Did you say in the summary, ignite her burn for him. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the kinds of phrases that I wasn't supposed to laugh. But <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I guess, like, they were both kind of annoying in their own ways. And I was just like, all right, I know you're the main characters. I know, like, you're going to survive this. So... I'm just going to go with it. But to me, it was more interesting, the interactions between Farah and Lucian and Elise. There were times in the book where I did like Farah. There were times where I didn't. Um, she seems somewhat inconsistent throughout the story. Yeah. Tamlin, I was never like on Team Tamlin in this book. Even though he has Wolverine claws? Even with his Wolverine claws. Yeah. And his pretty green eyes. <laughs> and his luscious blonde hair. <laughs> do, you need, do you need a moment? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just <laughs> the descriptions are all so over the top. Yeah. Look, I am not the target audience for this book. Like, I am. I accept that. You know, there are some elements of it that like really jive with me, and then there are other elements. I'm just like, all right, I am not the target audience i will give it that you know the target audience is they probably really enjoy this and therefore it's fine like it's fine i am the target audience i love you think so retellings yeah and i i love a little romance every now and then like i am supposed to love this book and there are things i love about it and i want to say that if i had not been reading this to discuss it because the first time i read it i'm like this is fun this is so much fun. It's not great writing. There's problems with it, but it's so much fun. I loved it the first time. Yeah. Reading it the second time, when I knew I was going to have to talk about it, that's when I got my, yeah. And I, you know what? I am reading this terrible series by this guy named Simon R. Green. And he just writes terrible books, but I love them. <laughs> as long as I'm going to have to talk about them. I guess there's a big difference between reading it for fun and then trying yeah. to read it to exactly. think about it. And, I don't know. Um, I just feel like when I think the target audience of this, and it, this is this might be a miscon- misconception, I just think like younger readers, like people who haven't read as much like fairy tale retellings, um, more mature fantasy, like that to me, that's the target audience. It's more of like a gateway kind of um, book, but. So this book was originally published as a young adult book because back yeah. in back when it was published, the Throne of Glass series was published as a young adult book. That makes sense. It, it should have been classified in that new genre that kind of exists that floats around called new adult, mm-hmm. which is that halfway point 
somewhere between young adult and adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little spicy. Yeah, it's but... it's not full blown adult fantasy, but it's not young out adult either. And yeah, and that that's kind of the thing is like I think if I read this when I was in my early twenties, I would have really really enjoyed it. But now I'm just like it was fun. It was fine. It was not mind blowing, and it wasn't as I guess like spicy as I thought it was gonna be. Just like the things that I've heard about her writing, especially like later Throne of Glass books get basically become anyway um so that that was a surprise to me and i was just like reading this i was like so where is the spicy romance stuff oh that's it okay all right i was certainly expecting it to be a little bit more spicy for sure yeah but you know i mean it's not like i wasn't expecting erotica but (laughs) i was expecting some more there i would probably hand it to you know 18 and above just because i'm a prude about stuff like that in books <laughs> like me recommending like i yeah. wouldn't be bothered to see a 16 year old reading this story or a 15 year old yeah i think like early 20s like if i read this like i'll be like okay this is like written for me right i have right. recommended this book to much much younger people i don't think there's anything wrong with that but it depends on who you are and and mm-hmm. how you feel about relationships well, i, guess I, I wouldn't like snatch the book away from them. I just wouldn't personally recommend this book to it. I think there was just, like, one scene that is quote-unquote, like, problematic. I wouldn't say Um, It's just a little too much sex that I would not recommend to my niece, shall I say, (laughs) who is 12. (laughs) Well, there's the the part which is basically sexual assault, where it was on the fire night, right? Oh, yeah. She doesn't listen, even though she had a run-in where she could have been gang raped and she was like ah no it's fine let me go out again that was stupid some of her decisions i do not understand at all and you know she has that run-in with tamlin and you know it's like she tells him no but obviously he's under mm, spell magic influence and he does that and then she's like oh that's the whole like igniting the burn for him part I'm just like, well, is it that old to stay in the in her room? She was told yeah. multiple times, but By she doesn't like people. being caged. Yeah, also she's a free spirit. She's a free spirit. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like being caged. Yeah, which I mean, like, <laughs> there's not like being caged, but then there's also stupidity, and she has survival instincts. So that was like was, counterintuitive. With that section, I will say nobody told her anything. Just kept saying, "Stay in your room, stay in your room," um, and I just kept thinking, "Well, someone at least tell her what's going to happen, and then like give her a fair warning, say stay in your room because X, Y, Z." Which the only person that really told her was Resand, mm-hmm. right? Like, and but even after, after, then after, yeah, then. he told her she still went out the second time, and uh, to me, I'll I'll chalk it up to okay, she's being a teenage girl, and. At that point, she was already fascinated with Tamlin, and she couldn't she couldn't stand the thought of him being with another woman. I think at that point, she was that fascinated with Tamlin. I think he was starting to get more fascinated with her, but I don't know that she necessarily had that same level of... But she had that thought, right? Like, thinking about him with, um, you know, all these, like, women trying to be the one for the night. 
And she was like, not, she did not like that thought. And see, this is why I, yeah, it was kind of sexual assault, but at the same time, she was very clearly putting herself in the situation where she would be the woman. And she should have realized what that meant. Does that make sense? Well, kind of, but... I don't even think this is victim blaming. I mean, maybe it's victim blaming. I think it's just, she wants his attention on Sexy Fay Night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's like, what do you think is going to happen at Sexy Fay Night? (laughs) They're all just like banging all over the place. Well, yeah. But, you know, (laughs) and and that, okay, I was going to say maybe she was more naive, but she herself, like, she's not a virgin. So she knows what sex is um, and what lust is. So, yeah, I mean, that whole part, it was just like, I wasn't quite sure what the author was quite trying to portray but that is a part that felt like fanfic like this is a fantasy and she wrote that so good re- our goodreads reviews are very divided on that scene <laughs> a lot of people are very angry about it and a lot of people are shouting in all cut ki- in all caps bite my neck so <laughs> <laughs> oh Look, my god i have no problem with bitings of the necks but it was a little weird. The whole scene was a little weird. <laughs> I mean, he's like a feral kind of... He's an animal. Like, he's got animal attributes. And he was, like, basically in heat. You know? <laughs> because it was sexy fay night! Exactly! <laughs> and she was told to stay in her room! And this is until after it was she over. Almost, she was almost game-rigged. And then she goes back out. I know. Like, well, that makes sense? It just doesn't even make sense. It does not make sense. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I don't I know. hate the scene. I don't hate it. I just like, or I don't hate it for any of the reasons that the good reviewers hate it or like it. Like it's all the other stuff around it. Anyway, we're just talking about what we think of it. Yes, that's right. Anyway, uh, any final thoughts? Unless we've been going for about 45 minutes. So, what do you guys think is going to happen next? Well. Resan basically like owns her for a week uh, of every month, right? Like that was the deal. So yeah. something's gonna come of that, and this is where I'm like, okay, there's probably some love triangle gonna happen here. The way that he's set up in this book, that's my guess. Hmm. I honestly haven't given any thought <laughs> to what's gonna happen next. Um, maybe I'm gonna go with Panda. I think Panda's probably right. And then there's that whole. King of Highburn, right? The dark, whatever. The hates evil humans. came from across the sea. Yeah. I mean, something's going to happen there. So whether it's her that defeats him or her associates. I think she's probably going to have to confront the families of the fairies she killed at the end of this book. Mm. See, I, I do think like um, this, this story was a bit darker than I was expecting. Um, there was the whole part where she did kill those innocents and it, I, I had thought that maybe there was like some way to get out of it. Um, but nope, she went ahead and did it. So I do think you're right that there is some sort of consequence that she's going to have to deal with. And, And we do get the sense, we do get some of that with her feeling very guilty about it. So I do think there's something more to come for the, from that. And I actually really appreciated how I thought that particular scene really stuck the landing. Like mm. it was, it, it, it 
could have been cut down by about seven paragraphs, but <laughs> other than that. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, the thing I could really do without is the whole, like, her being mostly naked and having to dance. <laughs> there was a lot of the book devoted to that. Like, I mean, when you're talking about me, fan fiction, that felt Yes, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, okay, all right. I uh, didn't quite finish the book, and I skipped all of those scenes. Because I was like, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Is that is that important later on, Merlia? No. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's a bit I of a d- sticking point with some people who are uh, avidly against a certain character. Mm. So, but oh. yeah, it's it br- it comes back. Okay, <laughs> that way. The part with the her paint being painted and only Ray Sand can touch her without the paint smearing. I can see that coming back. Mm, okay. But there was one thing that we didn't really talk about is Amarantha's, like, her backstory and the ring with, like, ju- ju- was it Julian? Jurian. 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 Jurian's eyeball, which I was not expecting, but cool. Like, cool, you know, characterization of a villain. I do think that there's more to Amarantha's, like, backstory that we weren't told. um, Because we were really, like, told from, like, you know, biased characters. Um, So I expect something more to come out of that since the ring did go missing. So maybe Amarantha isn't completely gone, potentially. I did like that they tried to make it more than just generic evil queen living in dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like we didn't get that much time with all of that. That just kind of added there at the end. Um, so I think I had good and bad points. I don't think I agree. I don't think we're done with her story, um, even if the character doesn't come back. I want to be done with her story. Like, <laughs> I, don't care. I agree, you, you but know, I, I don't think we are. <laughs> You know how how much longer the the sequels are. I, there's probably like a hundred pages devoted more to this in in the sequels. <laughs> no which, comment. <laughs> which speaking which of the sequels, like I am intrigued enough to read at least the second book because I hear that it is better. So I and I I think. Merle, is is it like a general consensus that it's like the best book within the three? I think so. Yeah. But it also depends on who you are and which characters you like. Okay. Fair. Well, for, for the most part, the second book is considered the best. Okay. So I think I will at least read the second book, see how I feel. If I'm like, nah, this is this is worse or whatever, or not good enough to continue, then that's it. But I have a feeling I will like the second book more, even though it's whatever, however many pages longer. I think I do want to read the next book, but I don't want to read it to reveal. I just want to, <laughs> like... You just want to enjoy it. I just want to enjoy it, because I really did thoroughly enjoy the book, even though I'm sounding very witchy. <laughs> Critical. What about you, Mr. Anderson? Will you continue? Oh, I had not, so we were just, uh, Panda and I were at a bookstore today, and they had that box set. If I had not seen how big the next book was, I would have said, yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's, it really is, it almost looks like it's twice the pages, and that seems so oh, wow. long for what happened in this book. 
Um, oh, now, no. maybe it does, if it does get better, if there is more of some stuff and less of other stuff, I can see myself enjoying it, but... Do you want me to read it first and then tell <laughs> you? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you guys, read it to, read it to him. <laughs> Here's our bedtime story. <laughs> so if um, this series is technically a trilogy, mm-hmm. but because it got so popular... It has a trilogy followed by a novella, mm-hmm. followed by a spin-off series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would. Only, have, sorry, sorry. There's only been one of the spin-off series, but again, that's like a 700-page book as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I thought I read and thought this is 200 pages too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually. I, I don't know how good she is at short stories. I would like to see a collection of short stories based in this world. Yeah, I would too. I, I would read that novella. Right. Like I said, when um, we were interviewing uh, Sebastian, I actually like his collection of great co- stories better than the, the, the actual novels by a lot. So mm-hmm. I a little bit. And I like the novels. So anyway. The novella does come after the trilogy. So you have to finish the trilogy if you want to read the novella. <sighs> That's fine. I'll get to it eventually. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> after Malazan. <laughs> I would think this would be a nice, refreshing thing after Malazan. I am in the home stretch, so I gotta finish that, man. Like I'm, I'm over fifty percent through the ninth book, and then I'm going straight into that tenth one because I gotta finish that this year. You're like, I am done with this. <laughs> <laughs> this was a nice break from Malazan, so there's that. Okay, anything else, guys? I didn't hate it, so. <laughs> There you go. I had a couple of points. I, there was something that I picked up on my read that is seems to be it's a it's I think it's a Sarah J. Bassism, where yeah. she's got she's got these phrases that she uses, and it's I I can't think of exactly examples from her other works, but in this one I picked up on a few right at the very start of the book, where when she's listing things, she has a tendency to use and a lot. Mm. So a couple of quotes that I had was, I pushed against that useless part of my mind, the instincts that had me thinking about colour and shape and light. And then the next one, which was like 20 pages later, was he forgets that human humans needed things like food and water and warmth. Um, a little bit later on, there's lovely and strange and colourful things and low and free and vicious. I feel like this group of three words seems to be a thing that she does mm-hmm. in all of her books. I think it's the rhythm. I, I feel like she is more of a, like a, she hears a rhythm when she's writing. Sometimes this, this doesn't quite work out well, because to me, when I read, there's, there's a rhythm, because I sub-vocalize um, when I read. And for me, her rhythm, like, is fine. Like, it actually makes me read her sentences faster. And then there are some other authors where, like, their rhythm and my rhythm are off. They don't align. And to me, I'm just like, you ended the sentence too abruptly. Like, it's hard to get into the momentum of reading. Um, Novik is is the main one that I have trouble with. But, yeah, I I think you're right. That is just a style that she likes. And, you know, Lil Red, did you listen to this via audiobook? Yep. How's the audiobook? It's pretty good. But yeah. let me think. Yeah, I think there is a definite rhythm to her writing, but maybe I just don't me- 
mesh with it because it bothered me <laughs> in places, which I've said in several different ways. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's Sorry, right. Hands. Did you have other points, Marlia? No, that was it. <laughs> Without trying to spoil anything. You so badly want to spoil us, I can tell. <laughs> Would you want to do an episode on the rest of the series? Or like an episode per? I wouldn't mind. I, I, I mean, I think that the books are big enough that they could have their own episode. And yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot does happen in the second book that I think is worth talking about. Okay. I'd, I'd be down. It sounds like Mr. Anderson is on the fence and Little Red's like, nope. <laughs> I don't like being mean about books. And I feel like it was really mean. And who knows? I, you may just love the second one. And you'll be like, this is five stars. Okay, and so you're just going to be I like, the second one I want to talk react, about it. Then then I can resend. But at this <laughs> moment in time, no. No, thank you. I, w- I want to read it without having to think about reviewing it. Because I yeah. this is... You guys, I really want you to understand. I really enjoyed this book. On a <laughs> level for me personally, it was a five. I'm dead serious. But it is not a five book. It is just Even not. with the riddle. <laughs> that was fine. I was like, whatever, whatever. I don't it was a thing that happened in the book. It, it was a thing for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand that. I this is the sort of book I really enjoyed it, but it's not the sort of book that I would recommend to every person who I walk oh, past. Yeah. yeah. I who would you recommend this to? Probably a younger audience, like he was saying. People who are in that zone where they don't want a full blown a full blown fantasy book. They quite they don't mind the romance. So any romanticy readers, I would recommend it to. Um, anyone who isn't a particularly a fantasy reader either, but doesn't mm-hmm. mind the romance side of things. Because it does have it's a romance it's kind of a romance at its heart, but it's also an epic fantasy, mm-hmm. so it captures the two quite well together. So you've you've got your typical happily ever after at the end of book one. I mean, isn't that the point of romance, though? You get the happily ever after. That's why we read romance. Yeah, but it is. It also has a lot more going on with yes, it, it from does. a fantasy standpoint and from a a plot standpoint. I mean, I think the the thing is that romance. Yes, there is the romance genre, right? But then there's also a romance element. And romance genre and romance element are not the same thing. So like a romance genre, what people typically think of are those like, you know, sexy shirtless men on the covers. What? Dude, where's my shirt? (laughs) Yes, dude, where's my shirt? That kind of stuff. And it's like very, you know, like um more like pining kind of thing and then there's like books with romance elements and like that's the thing is romance is such a broad spectrum different people like different kinds of romance there's not just one kind of romance i believe we have an episode on this don't we we do which people should listen to if they would like and that's why it's kind of hard when it's like people say, oh, but I like romance. I like fantasy. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think you're the audience for this kind of romance fantasy, right? Because it is, there are elements of it that are just like, if you are looking for like really strong characterization and really strong motivation and logic and like more comp, a lot more complexity and bigger world building and all of that, it's like, 
this is not that. To me, this is not that. This is somewhere in the middle, and the audience for it is more like, you know, tends to be younger, um, and you just want a quick read with some spicy. I think that's also why this series has become such a big household name, because it isn't too heavily fantasy. So people who don't normally read fantasy quite happily read it and enjoy it. Because it doesn't have that that big world-building complex character as, you know, 10 different characters that you need to learn about, or maybe more. So I think you're, because I would say it's 100% fantasy, it's just not. It's not what people think of as fantasy, that aren't fantasy readers. It is 100% a fairy tale retelling. Yes. Fairy tales are very much part of fantasy. Yes. Where fantasy draws a lot of their stories from, but... I would give it to somebody who likes fairy tales because that's what this yeah. is. And yeah. I, yeah. So that's, I'm like, you like fairy tales? Here's a book. There's a couple sexy scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a heads up. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing is like, you know, the main character is a younger female and that's the perspective that you are going to get. And if you don't really like reading that perspective, then you're probably not going to like this book i mean but that's most fairy tales they're younger people yeah yeah so uh i think we have done an episode i think so so thank you so much for joining us please consider supporting the legendarium on patreon thanks greg for loaning us a little corner of your media empire and horizon brave fighting it all for maria whose name i can't pronounce ever sorry (laughs) befuddled panda and mr anderson i'm little red book good night y'all bye bye I am quite surprised that Combat Wombat like gave it a four. Did he? I know he said it was a little lower than a four, but he rounded up, and I'm just like a little surprised. I thought that was fine. Actually, I was just like, "Whoa, that that's a high rating." Yeah. (laughs) Well, Karen likes Karen is a huge romance fan. He won't admit it, but he totally (laughs) will. I actually, I'm surprised because Chesky's read book one, but he hasn't read on. Yeah. And he doesn't know whether he wants to read on or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a book he doesn't like? Oh, it's not that it, he doesn't like it. I think he's just, he, he didn't love it enough to go, I want to read more. Mm. So I just yeah. read. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I just read Spellslinger, which is uh, Sebastian's first, Sebastian did Castile's first series. And I liked it much better than Great Coats, actually. Oh, interesting. Because that's yeah. his YA series. Yeah. I, I listened to book one of that series. It was different. <laughs> it was different <laughs> in a good way <laughs> it was like I was expecting something that didn't happen like oh. I don't know I felt a little disappointed by the whole magic thing I mean that was the point like the whole magic thing was kind mm. of the point of the book but mm-hmm. I see you know it's really hard recommending books or rating books just because like everybody has such a different mm-hmm. palette I guess you could say Yeah. Um, but when I give stars I try and think about if the plot works and if the writing works and not whether or not I enjoyed it. And there was this I, book I, I, I read. I write it based on my enjoyment. Yeah. I, um, so I remember, I don't remember, I think it was, it was with uh, Soul and Chesky. It was some book. And I'm like, this is a two and a half. I love this book. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not good. Not a good book. I love it anyway. <laughs> but I, you know what? I'm a big fan of like, sometimes it's fine to read just, you know, dime store novels it's Mm -hmm. fine 
Yeah. Not everything and that's, has to be Shakespeare. Yeah. And <laughs> that's what the majority of people like reading anyway. Mm -hmm, for sure.